look, it's a Weather Gizmo 2022 Ultimate Instrumentation Package. Aw, what a thoughtful gift. Can't wait to use that to measure every moment of the weather around me. Welcome to What Is It About the Weather? podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Zelenik. And this week, we're going to be talking about are there too many weather observations? Hope you've been having good weather. Hope for those of you who do celebrate Christmas or just enjoy Christmas, that you celebrate it traditionally or not, that your weather's going well. Mine was warm. I went to a warm spot. Matter of fact, I went about as far south as a car could go in the continental U.S. and still be in the U.S. and not be in the water. I have been trying to do my best to avoid COVID, and I did it on this trip as well. So we found, well, I won't say there were no people, but went to a spot with... Lots more alligators than people. Did some outdoorsy things. That's kind of my gig. It's kind of been kind of my gig throughout COVID. Is it's not that I don't want to see people. It's just it's easier to avoid COVID in addition to getting vaccinated by just not seeing folks or having direct contacts on not seeing people at all. So enjoy the Florida sunshine, but try to do it without being around. A lot of folks, so not hanging out in the bars, on the beach. Although, again, beach shouldn't be a problem. Any case, warm weather, definitely sunny, but cold weather for that area came through. Some colder mornings. Yeah, you know me. Don't mind it being a little colder. I didn't particularly get any weather gifts this year, and that's a bit unusual for me. Usually, I somebody gets me. I actually had something I wanted, so I was kind of disappointed that I didn't get it. There was a book that had some neat weather photos that I was hoping someone would buy for me. No one did. Maybe next year. Beggars can't be choosers. I I hope you got a weather gift here if you're into that sort of thing, or at a minimum, again, that your weather was nice. Let me know. If you got an interesting weather gift, what is about the weather? Gmail.com. Mark underscore Jelinek. That's J-E-L-I-N-E-K at Twitter. But let's talk a little bit about weather observations and are there too many weather observations. Now, in the last episode I mentioned, I was kind of talking about tech and weather, and it was kind of a not-so-good thing. This time I'm going to talk about how I, you know, another way that I think technology is really advancing weather. And you hear me talk about this topic and you hear me talk about the potential of how we measure weather and and whether we're you know whether it's a satellite or you know new cell tower observations that the the climacell i guess it's now tomorrow.io company does but but every time i turn around there's there's kind of new things measuring and you may get a sense at some point that we got enough, right? Don't you get enough weather measurements? Can there be too many? And, you know, as we talked about last week with this interference, might might measuring too often be a problem? And I, I guess in theory you could. But let's maybe frame it for a moment and why more is good and maybe how to think about it from that perspective. And, and I'll give you a couple 
real-world examples. So think about how advertising has changed in the last 20 years. From You used to see generic advertisements for whatever it was in a printed environment or even online, or you heard it on the radio airwaves. And as an example, maybe you listened to a station that was more conservative or more liberal, and you might get certain advertisers on there that know that's their audience, so their product might be better suited for that audience. So it's kind of a targeted ad. But now, you know, sometimes we feel like, hey, one minute I'm talking about something in the car, and the next minute I'm getting an ad for it on my mobile phone. Now, it doesn't exactly work that way, but the whole idea of cookies, right, and on web browsers making your advertising experience much more relevant to things that are at hand. Now, if you're like me, there have been certain times that you shop for something, I don't know, maybe you shop for a pair of underwear online and for the next six months you're getting underwear ads and it may not be the most relevant thing in the world, but they've continued to refine that experience and they've been able to do it for because they have more data. They have more data points that are relevant. But anything, anytime we talk about machine learning, which is kind of what that targeted ad is, when you just hear the topic machine learning, the only way it can happen is because we've got big data, if you will. You've got more data points that are relevant, and you can refine them in ways that you couldn't before. And maybe the best way to think about that is when you look at anything where statistics matter, all right, and you, or let's say you're looking for that classical bell curve, or you've heard me talk about these plots of of different potential outcomes for tropical cyclones when it's specifically dealing with weather. The more possible scenarios we have that examine all the potential cases, the more you build confidence in the quality of that forecast, because you you fill in the gaps and you make sure that the gaps are realistic because what will happen and we even see this you know we've seen it sometimes with you know our understanding of covid as an example but it's we see it in science and in quite often in medicine's a good place when something's new or something's novel we start doing our best guess. Some of that's based on our understanding of the past and some of it's based on preliminary information. But the challenge often is when you get that preliminary information, it is a best guess. But as the statistics fill out, as more cases take place, we get a better picture of what's going on. And that's why people always say it is preliminary or we're waiting to learn more. Because if you over-respond, unless it's something where you're, you're really trying to avoid life and death, sometimes you can make a decision that's not aligned with what the reality is. And you do have to be careful. Sometimes it's best to be cautious when something's particularly dangerous. But as you learn more, maybe it's not as, as dangerous or maybe it points to a different outcome. And you've got to be prepared to modify your decision process. Okay, And that's what we do in life with just about anything. It could be financial. It could be, you know, again, it could be medical. All the things that impact our daily lives, and that's personal and business. The more information we have, the better we are at being able to drive a more informed decision process. Doesn't mean we always make the right decision, right? And it doesn't mean we always pivot to the point where we need to. But generally, more data is better up to a point. If you can't process that data, if you're overwhelmed by data, 
it becomes useless, right? And that doesn't matter whether it's one data point or a million data points. If you can't do something with it, if it doesn't enhance your ability to get to a decision, then the data is pointless. And that's kind of where you might think we could get to with weather data. Because like I said, you hear about satellites and radars and you get all these data points. And yes, it's a lot of data. And a lot of that data is never effectively used in anything more than it being informational in the moment. But if we really want to improve the quality of weather forecast, we've got to account for things that these big traditional global models didn't always take into account or as their resolution is improved they didn't have data points that necessarily leveraged those benefits okay now if we stick with our basic fundamental kind of governing equations that aren't overly complex maybe you don't need a whole bunch of additional data but but that said we've learned and I'll give you an example of this leveraging weather data gathered from aircraft, you know, in the beginning, people might have thought, no, it's not useful, but it is. And weather models ingest that data and forecast quality was proven to improve by using that data in the mix. Now, you may ask, well, okay, don't satellites and radar and all these, you know, things that cover large territories, don't they give you those data points? Don't they give you all the data points you need? In a, in a broad sense, yes, a satellite can measure a lot of things. And just like weather models, satellite resolution, the, both the coverage and the resolution has improved over time. But here's the problem. Whenever you're thousands of miles in space and you're measuring something on the, on the ground, you're giving it a best guess based on your understanding and based on algorithms that are put in place that say, as an example, this is over water, or this is over land, or this is over this type of plants, right? And it's making a reasonable estimate that those broad equations can come up with a reasonable forecast. But we saw just this last year, right, where I, I mentioned two cases, one in China and one here in the U.S., where we had these kind of ultra athletic events that both ended up one worse than the other with snow situations that caused death and at you know in, in one case and in another caused you know extreme rescue events thankfully everybody was saved in the second one but they caught people if you will off guard and you you would ask well wasn't it forecast and I talked about that right that in some broad sense the the data was out there to draw a conclusion that it could have ended up worse than it was, and, and people chose not to. But if you could get to whether the weather forecast took away some of that uncertainty or gave you a better understanding, particularly in forecasting in more short term, and we do have more and more weather models that do, let's say, just the next 12 hours or just the next 18 hours, and they spit them out you know, once an hour, and they do that because... While there's a benefit beyond that time frame, these models are geared towards, hey, we realize weather can change in the short term, and we want to make sure people are getting real-time, essentially, weather forecast. And that's just going to improve in time because our processing capability is improving and because the weather data points are improving. But 
we get back to this fundamental thing that in many parts of the country, the weather data that is ingested is still somewhat limited over large areas of the water, but even over land and particularly over terrains that are challenging the forecast for. Mountainous areas, different sorts of tree canopy areas where you've got different vegetation and the forecast, the, the weather underneath could be very different. And I came across an article that kind of prompted this whole thing in my head in the Bulletin of American Meteorological Society. I brought up that journal before. It's called BAMS for short. But it was, it, it's, they do kind of, the best way I know to describe it, some of the things they put in there are brief introductory articles to a broader research article that it maybe appeared in a different journal. And they had this great cover shot. They had this cover shot of someone gathering data with this huge backpack kind of weather station. Now, I think it's pretty cool. I don't think anybody in their right mind would want to carry it on their back, but it was an example of a way in a technique that they're using to get more what we call boundary layer measurements. So the stuff very near the surface that gives us a better understanding of how, as an example, weather might be different from how a satellite is measuring it to what it's really like, particularly when you have trees overhead that might create these little micro-environments. Okay, Now, you may not be able to get a weather forecast that's perfect for under the trees in all cases, but it could give us additional data points that allow you to refine the forecasting approach that for people that are going to be out and about doing, you know, outdoor activities. And that can be like those race events that I talked about, or just out on a hike or out, you know, enjoying their time on a lake. It, it, it doesn't matter as we are doing more and more outside events. And the last couple of years has proven an example of that. It's like my vacation, very outside oriented. And it would have been nice to have forecasts that I knew were not going to be accurate in these national parks where I was at because there's just not data coverage. Now, that's not to say I didn't see any weather instrumentation. But there's going to be limits into how those forecasting models are tweaked for handling that kind of microscale events. But at the same time, if we want to keep people safe and not put them in harm's way, that's a useful thing. And in this upcoming 2022 National Annual American Meteorological Society Convention, I'm going to be doing a presentation on that. So kind of like this other person did, I I have, as you know, bought some instrumentation that in this past year to work primarily for me. I was using it more when I was doing cycling, but any type of outdoor events, when I'm hiking, when I'm biking, those sort of things. And I'm often I'm in mountainous terrains and it would be useful to have weather data at those points. And this sort of cloud world in which we live and this micro-instrumentation world in which we live, as long as the instrumentation is giving you valid measurements, which is an important piece of the equation. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I still think we, we have a lot of pieces to put together. There's an opportunity to get data points in places we just don't have it before in a couple of ways. One of these devices I have, you can put on, for instance, it's got magnets and I can attach it to my car. And so it can give me measurements all the way up to where I might start a hike or a bike. And then I can have it on my person and continue to get those measurements. Now, the key is with all these data points is going to be, and you might say, well, don't people have weather stations everywhere? Couldn't we ingest that data? 
And the challenge is always going to be making sure that we're accounting for what is really the environment that that instrumentation is set up in. And and this is probably going to be where we still need to make some strides in standardizing the measurements to make sure that we understand, you know, is this temperature really under a tree canopy such that it's not getting the full solar impact that it might be? But our technology and, and our ability to code around those things, just like we do with satellites in terms of making an, a best guess estimate with all those components, we can do the same thing with this other instrumentation. But you're not necessarily going to want to design it for every piece of equipment comes out. So we've got work to do there. This article kind of talks to that, but it also talks to the real benefit that we have to get improved forecasting and an improved, not just in in the forecast itself in the immediate term, but our understanding about the challenges and the realities of how the forecast is going to differ in these varied terrains. And and mountainous terrains have always it's something in the field we've always known is difficult to do. And anybody who's ever been out doing anything in the weather knows, right, that when you're in the mountains that you just get different weather right, then you might see in a generalized forecast. And you know, anybody who spends time out there knows that sometimes you got to take it for granted that, you know, whatever it might say in a generalized forecast, that it might be different. And you need to be thinking about what are the range of possibilities versus it being a very set thing. Like, you know, if, if it says that I'm going to have a high of a certain amount in this vicinity, what it might be in terms of when I'm in the valley versus when I'm in a peak for what clothes I might take on a hike or if I'm doing outdoor activities. But what if your weather forecast could compensate for you in telling you what you're really going to need when you start your hike, when you're going to finish your hike, understanding what you you plug in your elevation, and it tweaked that forecast for you. Do I think we're going to get there? Yeah, I do. I think there's a real potential for us to leverage the world of big data, to leverage the world of increased instrumentation, particularly now that it's getting more convenient and more mobile, all right? Because mobile phones, while in the beginning they had some of this more weather sensors built in, they've kind of backed off that. I'm not saying that that it's not there. I I do think it's going to require... Still some instrumentation that's designed, but it could be in the vehicles and it, or it could be these little units like I have because, you know, you're not going to take a mountain bike and put a car unit in there. But as we have these self-driving cars, it's just another example. Self-driving cars are going to require this instrumentation to make the right decision when, when they're doing their driving thing. And like the airplanes, all of a sudden we're going to have this additional tre- treasure trove of information but what we still have are these gaps that it's going to cover all these roadways and it might give us the ability to tweak some of our other measurements, but it's not going to give us all the tricky terrains where we're, we're out as well. So I think it's going to be a complement of devices that ultimately give us this data footprint that we need. But it's going to happen at some point. And hopefully what we're going to see is, no, there's not too many weather observations. We just got to make sure, A, the quality is there. Right. The, the instrumentation and the ability to measure in ways that we haven't traditionally can measure properly. B, that we have a, a understanding of the environment in which those measurements are being made so that we can adjust for 
that within our modeling. And, and C, we're going to have to update our modeling approaches to be able to handle that. But collectively, with the knowledge that we have today, and you do all those things, that we'll be able to increase the sophistication level of the forecasting models themselves to allow for improved forecast on what I would call more micro scales, right? And that that's both within a horizontal perspective, but also in a vertical perspective to optimize weather forecast for all of us, for all these things we like to do. I don't know. I, I hope that all these gizmos that we're getting get us there. I really do think there's the potential for that. And as I develop my presentation, it's not fully vetted out yet. I'm still working through some of the data. And put it together. I'll make it available for everybody because that's something I can easily do. Can't always, as you know, share all these articles. But maybe I'll use the cover art where you can see this guy with a backpack on. It was uh, it was quite an interesting contraption he had put together. But I hope you got a weather gift. And I, maybe it was one of these gizmos. And like I said, let me know about it. But also just remember as you are having some holiday cookies and you start thinking about your browser and all the cookies in there and what it does that, yeah, I know sometimes those targeted ads can be a little, eh, can feel creepy at times, but just think about how far in a short period of time that kind of process has changed and how amazing it is that it can get so granular to impact us individually. And where the future of weather forecasts can go with the same thing. So as you're nibbling that cookie with a cookie monster, just remember, there's much more to weather than the weather itself.